All right, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday service. This is your first time. My name is Thomas. I am one of the pastors here. And uh, in light of all the announcements that we're going through on Sundays, we've actually started a new sermon series through what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you have your Bibles, we're actually going to go straight into the passage. Or if you have your programs, uh, the passage is on the back as well. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5. And we're looking, starting verse 1 all the way to verse 12. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 all the way to verse 12. After Jesus began his ministry, we actually, uh, starting in chapter, at the end of chapter 4, he started healing and he gathered his disciples. And in chapter 5, verse 1, uh, we see him sitting on a mountain and we see what takes place. And so starting verse 1, if you could follow along, this is what Matthew writes. And seeing the crowds, he, meaning Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the reading of God's word. So back in 2016, there was a Swiss artist, her name was Corinne Sutter, and she appeared on a TV show that was like America's Got Talent, except it was called Switzerland Got Talent. And if you've ever seen America's Got Talent, it's kind of a similar premise where people of all sorts of talents will come up and they show off their talent. They have one minute to impress the judges, and if the judges do not like you, they'll plus press the red buzzer that's buzzing you off. And if all the judges press the red buzzer, then you are not advancing to the next round. And so this woman named Corrine Sutter, she went up and she had, and some of you might have seen this clip, she put on this canvas, and there's a picture that I have in the back right there where she puts on this canvas and she starts drawing a portrait. And she starts drawing a portrait of one of the judges. And as she's drawing it, doesn't look that impressive, right? Like my kids could draw a picture like that. And so she's drawing it and at uh, one point, one of the judges start, boom, just buzzes the buzz because he's like, what's this person doing up here? And as she keeps going, another judge buzzes. And at, at one point, all four judges just press the button. And usually when that takes place, the performer would just stop the performance and walk away because there's no point anymore. But this artist, she actually kept going and kept drawing and kept drawing. And once the minute was up, all of a sudden she flips the canvas over, over and you get this portrait of another judge. So she was drawing pretty much upside down, and she was showing, and when she flipped it, that this was actually a, a, a beautiful portrait of a different judge that she was looking at. And obviously when everyone saw this, they were all stunned. All the four judges who buzzed her off, they all gave her a standing ovation, and they passed her on to the next round, even though they buzzed her off. Now when you watched it in the beginning, if you ever saw this clip, the judges, they eliminated her because they thought her portrait seemed strange. It looked weird. It didn't look like a picture that made any sense because it was upside down. But yet we all know when she flipped it over, it was actually a masterpiece. And now she's actually pretty well, uh, well known in the art community. Uh, I would argue the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 to 7, Jesus is doing something similar. 
everything he says that he's going to tell us about how to live your life, it's going to seem initially really strange. For example, Jesus says at one point in the sermon, if someone strikes you, offer them the other cheek. Chris Rock, turn your cheek, <laughs> let them slap you the other cheek. It's like, what? That doesn't make much sense. If someone takes your tunic, give them your coat as well. Huh? That's strange. Before you judge others on what they do, make sure you deeply judge yourself. It's strange. It's actually something that, again, human beings, we don't naturally live that way, nor do we, if we actually took that advice, does it feel like it makes much sense. And that's because the Sermon on the Mount, it is not a sermon to make your life better. It is meant to be a sermon to live a new way of life. It's a brand new way. It doesn't tell you how to be a good person. That's not what the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is about. It's, tell you, it's to tell you how to be truly human, to be a true human being. And the reason why it comes off so strange is because Jesus, he is describing in the Sermon on the Mount, these next few weeks that we're going through it, uh, life in the kingdom. Life in the kingdom of heaven, what it's supposed to look like. And it's going to feel like an upside down kingdom where it's very confusing, very strange if you try to live it out. And yet Jesus says, if you live the kingdom this way, if you live your life according to this way, you will find life. You will find life. And it will start to make sense. That's why I like what G.K. Chesterton says about the Sermon on the Mount. He says, quote, on first reading the Sermon on the Mount, you feel that it turns everything upside down. But the second time you read it, you discover that it turns everything right side up. The first time you read it, you feel that it is impossible. The second time, you feel that nothing else is possible. And so as we journey through the Sermon on the Mount these next 15 weeks, uh, we mentioned last time that Jesus, he's going to really challenge the way we view life, if you pay attention to what he's saying. He's going to confront you personally of how you think life should be lived. But ultimately what Jesus is going to do is he's going to heal you. He wants to heal the way we live, heal the way we view life. And that's the goal of what he's doing with the Sermon on the Mount. Now when you read the Sermon on the Mount, it begins, he begins this long sermon with what we, the passage we just read in Matthew 5 which are famously known as the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes. Now why, when he gives this sermon about the kingdom life and so forth, why does Jesus begin with the Beatitudes? Why does he open the speech that way? I think the reason why is because the first thing Jesus is doing is he is challenging us on what we think the blessed life looks like. What do you think life is really about? What do you consider to be the good life? What are the conditions in life that you need to have in order for you to flourish? Who are the people that you look at and you think they're blessed? Or you think they're living life well? More personally, what are your goals in life? What are your like two to five year plans in life? What are your 10 to 20 year plans in life? Like why are those your goals? What do you think is going to make you happy? Who do you admire personally when you see their Instagram feed? Who do you go like that person's living the good life? Jesus, he's going to challenge all of that. He wants to really confront us, challenge us, but also heal us of our perspective. And Jesus is going to do that by describing what he argues is the good life according to the kingdom. The best, most joyful situation that you could find yourself if you're living in this world. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 12. We're going to look at the Beatitudes and we're going to look at it in three ways. First, we're going to redefine the blessed life. Jesus is going to redefine for us the blessed life. So the redefining of a blessed life. Secondly, he's going to describe the blessed life. What does that actual life look like? 
And lastly, he's going to help us understand the blessed life. Why is this a blessed life? So describe, redefining a blessed life, describing a blessed life, and understanding a blessed life. So first, redefining a blessed life. So the Beatitudes that we just read, if you're ever curious, like what's Beatitudes, that's not in the Bible. It's a Latin phrase that later Christians use to describe this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Beatitudes literally mean state of blessing. Uh, it is probably one of the most familiar passages in the Bible where whether you've gone to church or not, you've heard something like this. You've heard something about blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. And if you're a Christian, you especially are very familiar with this passage. And yet, if you're like me, very few of us understand what it means. It is a very misunderstood passage where a lot of us, what do we do with this? How do you apply this in your life? How does this apply into your life? And so if what a lot of us do, if you try to do a deep dive into it, we, we get really caught up into what does each beatitude mean? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does it mean to mourn? And we get really deep into that. Or a lot of us, the way it's just presumed is it's a, it's, it's a positive spin. It's things like, oh, this is what a, bless, a good Christian looks like. And that's how we view the Beatitudes. And I would argue if you approach the Beatitudes that way, you miss what Jesus is trying to do here. He's trying to do something very profound. And so I'm going to say something a little controversial where I'm going to deconstruct how a lot of Christians tend to view the Beatitudes. Okay? And again, you can challenge me afterwards more than welcome to, hey, I never heard it like that. Let's go, man. Let's talk about it. Let's discuss what's happening. So let me tell you what the Beatitudes first are not. Number one, the Beatitudes, these are not a list of virtues to aspire after. This is not a list where we go, that's an awesome list. I should be like that. That is not, a, it's not virtuous. Because when you actually look at the Beatitudes, when you pay attention to what Jesus is actually saying, these actually aren't positive qualities. Blessed are those who are mourning. What's positive about mourning? about being sad. Some Christians would try to spiritualize it. Oh, he's talking about when you're sad about your sins. Matthew doesn't say that here. He doesn't say that. Being poor in spirit, that sounds like, oh, I'm, I'm poor and like I know I'm a sinner before God. That's not how Matthew uses that phrase. Poor in spirit most likely means somebody who's of low stature. They're financially poor, they're spiritually poor, they're a nobody. That's not a good situation to be in. Or blessed are those who are persecuted. How is persecution a virtue? I know we kind of spin it that way, but at Matthew's time, that doesn't really sound good. And so Beatitudes, I would actually argue these are not virtues, and you only can make it a virtue is if you over-spiritualize what Matthew is trying to say here. Here's the second thing that Beatitudes are not. The Beatitudes, they are not a set of commands. These are not a set of commands to practice. Where after this, church, let's go live this out. Because that would mean, hey, after church, after you hear this, if you're a Christian, go mourn. Go be sad if you want to be blessed. And it's like, is Jesus really doing that? Are these really commands that he's giving? Or, hey, go get persecuted right now and you'll be blessed. Again, I'm not sure if this is actually a command that Jesus is giving. And here's a third thing. Beatitudes, they are not timeless truths to anticipate. These are not proverbs where Jesus is saying, this is how life works. If you do this, you will be blessed. Because, for example, those who are merciful, they don't always receive mercy. That doesn't always happen. And so I would argue that the Beatitudes, these aren't virtues to aspire after. They are not commands to practice, nor are they timeless truths to anticipate in life. So then what are the Beatitudes? I think the key to unlocking, what is Jesus actually doing here? How does he want this to apply to our life? We have to answer two questions. Number one, 
who is Jesus speaking to and what is Jesus saying to them? Who is the original audience and what is he actually saying to the original audience? Let's answer that first one. Who is the original audience that Jesus is speaking to? What kinds of people is he addressing? If you look at chapter 5, verse 1 in our program, we, can, we see it. Look what it says in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So Jesus on a mountain, large crowd, disciples come. And when you see that image of disciples coming, we think of probably what? The 12 disciples, right? There's 12 people sitting at Jesus around him, and he's speaking these beatitudes. Problem with that is that the disciple, the 12 has not been formed yet. That happens in Matthew chapter 10. The word disciple, it's literally you're following someone. Someone you're following after. So who is following after Jesus at this point in Matthew chapter 5? We know it from chapter 4. Right before Jesus sits down, what happens? Look at chapter 4, verse 24, 25. It should be on the screen. This is what happens. So this is Jesus. His fame has spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, and those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Do you see that? Do you see the types of people who's following Jesus? We imagine the people who are around Jesus at a certain amount are these affluent, middle-class people sitting in chairs with AC blasting into their faces, listening to a great lecture about how to live a good life. We imagine they're like us, like people in the OC. But in reality... The Beatitudes, they are actually speaking to quite a different crowd. They're the poor. There are those who don't have homes. There are those whose opinions don't matter in life. They're the nobodies. The people who are considered failures. The people who have nothing better to do but to follow this random rabbi. To go teach them. See, when you listen to the Sermon on the Mount as a middle class, affluent person, you tend to think Jesus is telling us how to improve your life. These are life hacks for you. How to make your good life even better. That's how middle class people and upper class people receive the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. But when you got nothing, when you are poor, destitute, suffering, at the margins, nobody cares about you. Nobody retweets your tweets. Nobody likes your, your social media stuff. The Sermon on the Mount comes really differently. It's a very different type of message that you're going to receive. And Jesus knows this. And so with this group of people, poor, marginalized, nobody cares people, what does Jesus keep telling them? How does he begin the sermon? Over and over again, you see this repeated word, right? Over and over again, the repeated word is this key word, blessed. Blessed. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Now, this word blessed, in the Greek, it's, called, it's actually called makarios which is a notoriously difficult language to translate in English. You know, like Korean, Cantonese, Mandarin, like when someone who's not that, what does that word mean? You go, ah, well, it means this, but the English does not do justice to that word, right? That's like makarios. The English does not do justice to what that word actually means. That's why most translations in our Bibles, it will say blessed. But for a lot of us, that word blessed, it has so much theological baggage that it almost means nothing to us. Other translations that try to modernize it, they say happy. Happy are you. But again, that word happy, I think that word has been really hijacked by Americans, so that even isn't really a good word. I like what this one commentator, his name R.T. France, 
He actually says a closer translation, doesn't capture it yet, but a little bit closer for Makarios is congratulations. Congratulations. Good fortune for you. Good fortune. It's a word that is used to describe a good situation or a situation that you would envy. So, for example, you're pregnant and you're having a baby, Makarios, the gods are with you. That's how the word is used. Or, you got a promotion over me, Makarios, the gods, I guess, are with you. That's how the word is used, Makarios. Now, in light of that, Jesus is looking at all these poor folks, all these people who are marginalized, all these people who have nothing to their name, and he starts describing things that sound like them. Poverty. Those who are mourning, those who are persecuted. And he goes, you know those situations? Makarios. Makarios, the gods are with you. God is with you. You're struggling financially? Makarios. You're mourning right now? Like you're depressed about life? Makarios. You're being persecuted over your faith right now? Makarios. What is going on? Why is Jesus saying this? And the reason why is because Jesus, what he sees is that contrary to how the world sees your situation, God sees it really differently. The world looks at your situation if you're sad, if you are experiencing loss or grief, and they go, that's really sad. That's, really, that's like sad emoji, right? It's just sad. That's all they could do. But God looks at your situation, and he actually goes, you're blessed. You have no idea how blessed you are. Jesus is redefining how we look at blessedness. He is redefining how you look at people and their situations, and he's especially redefining how you should look at yourself. If you are in this unfortunate, dark, troubling season in your life, what Jesus is saying is that God sees something in you that's far different than how you think of it, and it's a blessing that you're in that situation. Tim Mackey, he... Um, he oversees this thing called the Bible Project, and he gave this illustration that I thought, this is too good not to like, not use. Like, it's too good, and it was just really helpful to help understand what Jesus is trying to do for the crowds that were there. Uh, he mentions that there's these two uh, art, British artists, their names are Timothy Noble and Susan Webster, and they're sculpture artists, and they put together these art exhibits. And back in 1997, these two British artists, they displayed this exhibit called Shadow Sculptures, where you walk into a dark room. So if you imagine you're in this exhibit, you go into this dark room, and when you enter into this dark room, you just see a random object. So for example, this next picture right here. You walk in, and you just see in the dark room these broken cans with all these bullet holes just shot in these cans. And you look at that going, oh my gosh, like this, this is that weird art stuff. And you go, okay, and you just sit there. But then a few seconds pass, and a light shines, and all of a sudden, boom. You see a beautiful city, a silhouette that's being shined forth through that work. And what's interesting is like, wow, these broken cans, it's like displaying through light this beautiful picture of a, of a metropolitan city. And then you go to the next room, and you see a, 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 a literal pile of trash. Dark room, just trash laying down there. And you go, what is this? And all of a sudden, same thing. Boom, light shines. And you see a person. You see two people lying down on the, tr on the ground. And then you go to the next room, and all of a sudden you see this weird object with these broken parts made of, like, wood and trash, and you don't know what it is. And all of a sudden a light shines, and boom, you get the silhouette of two people sitting back-to-back -to -back together. 
Now, when Mackie brings this up, which I thought is really true, uh, what is this art exhibit trying to do? It's telling us that it's a reversal of your perception. That's what these art pieces are trying to do. The things that you thought were discarded or the things that you saw as trash, they're actually really beautiful from a certain angle if you shine a certain light upon it. That's what the artwork is doing. Through the trash, not despite of it, through the trash there is beauty depending on how you see it. And this is what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is saying that your perception of the people or yourself that you discard, that you think are kind of trash, that you feel are not important, they're actually beautiful in a certain angle, in the kingdom angle, when the light of Christ shines upon them. He sees beauty through that. The people who that the world just discards going, that's, that's not important. That's trashy. Who cares? Jesus says it's beautiful in the kingdom because God's eye is on them. And so what are the Beatitudes? How are we supposed to understand what these sayings are? Not virtues, not commands, not truths. They're pronouncements. It's Jesus' announcement saying this is who's blessed. You know who is living a blessed life? Let me list that for you. Or to put it another way, if you're living a life that's pretty messed up, you know what the Beatitudes are for you? Good news. It's meant to be good news. It's good news for those, not for the privileged or for the affluent. That's when our, those, your eyes are glazed when you listen to the Beatitudes. You don't care. You feel already blessed. But for those who feel discarded, who feel like trash, who feel insignificant, who feel like they haven't made it in life, Jesus is saying, you're the types of people God is really paying attention to. You're actually the ones who are very blessed. And so before I move on, let me ask a quick, let me just give a quick exhortation. Those of us as, again, modern OC people, oftentimes when you grew up in the church, you kind of think, you know, you sense God's presence is there. Oftentimes in times when things go well, I know like churches, for example, whenever an event goes really well, we think God's presence was really here. God is really with us. If our church is growing, God is with us. Or if you're going through a successful career route where you're, you know, God's opening all these doors, praise God for that. I can just sense God is with me. Or if you find somebody you love and you get married, you praise God because of your situation as a family or having a child. But Jesus is saying, well, that's not, that's not untrue. There's truth to that. You want to know where God's favor is really upon you? You want to know when, like, light is really shining down upon you? It's when you feel discarded like trash. It's when you feel insignificant or worthless. When the world actually thinks there's nothing special about you, what Jesus is saying, you probably have to realize that you are in a blessed situation. You're in a blessed situation. The Beatitudes are meant to be good news for you. It's meant to be for you. Now before I explain why, why that's the case, and how you can be blessed from this situation. Let me describe the situation a bit more deeply. So going to the second point, describing the blessed life. So what is Jesus actually saying going, hey, this is the blessed life. What does he say going, this is the life where God looks at it going, you're blessed. What does he say? What does he say going, makarios, this is awesome. Uh, realize that what Jesus is doing when he lists the Beatitudes, it's not unique. Every culture has a Beatitude. Every culture, every individual, I would say, has a personal beatitude. For example, in the ancient world, there was a famous beatitude that all the Jewish readers would know about. It was like kind of a classic book that the Jewish readers, it was called the Book of Sirach, and it lists, you want to know what the good life is? Like the, the purposeful life? 
this is what, how it's listed. And this is uh, from the first century, Book of Sirach, chapter 25, and it says it like this, quote, a rabbi speaking, I can think of nine whom I call blessed, the good life, and a tenth my tongue proclaims. So here are the blessed people. A man, so if you're a woman, sucks for you. Got to be a man. A man who rejoices in his children, so someone who's fertile, who has kids. If you have kids, you're blessed. If you don't have kids, we just don't talk about that. A man who lives to see the downfall of his foes, so somebody who's, who wins every basketball game, who outcompetes his competitors, you're blessed. Happy is the man who lives with a sensible wife, so you better be married, and she better be sensible if you want it to be a blessed life. And the one who does not plow with an ox and an ass together, meaning that your work is going well, you're a farmer, and this is going well for you, your job. Happy is the one who does not sin with the tongue, meaning that you speak well, you're very eloquent, you're blessed. The one who has not served an inferior. Happy is the one who finds a friend, so you're not lonely, you have people in your life. And the one who speaks to attentive listeners, meaning people respect you, they want to hear what you have to say. How great is the one who finds wisdom. You are a wise person. That's a blessed life. But none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. And on to top it all off, you're religious. You go to church, you respect God. That is a life, mm, blessed. Brag to your parents about, brag to people about going, that's my son, that's my life. That's what you post on social media, a person who lives a life like that. Now we look at that going, well, that's very ancient. I don't have an ox or an ass that I watch over, so what are you even talking about? But today it's no different. Today is no different. We just don't write it down. It's just all in our heads. It's all in our social media likes. The type of life where we admire that we like. For example, if you're in college or if you're younger, you just go, oh, wow, blessed are those with high GPAs. You got a 4.0 in high school and in college? Wow, you're valedictorian. You're killing it. You have an internship all set up for you, and you know exactly what you want to do. You're killing it in life. Wow, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, my parents' dreams, but that's not for me, but that's for you. That's awesome. Six-figure salary, blessed life, right? Or some of us, you know what the blessed life is? Large social media following. Wow, you have thousands of followers. You have the blue check mark next to your name. That's legit. You have these celebrities following after you, these Instagram influencers following you. Wow. That's amazing. You are blessed. Or for some of us, you know what's the blessed life? Wow, you bought that new home, those newly renovated homes in the OC at this time? That's blessed. And you got it at what rate? Wow, that person who owned the home was a missionary and they just looked for somebody with a good rate to give it to you and you found that? What a blessed life. Or, wow, you found the love of your life and you guys get along, even in marriage? Wow. And you guys are now traveling everywhere and you see and you post on social media. That's amazing. And you have not one, not three, but two kids, boy and girl, with the golden retriever. Oh my gosh, you are living the life that I want. Again, we'll never write down like a rabbi. But when we see people like this, we think they're killing it. We think they're doing so well. And we can't help but low-key admire that and feel a little bit kind of off with ourselves, right? Now, here's the thing. Nothing's wrong if you have that life. Okay, if I described your life, don't feel like, oh, like it's, you know, that's a blessing. <laughs> it is a blessing. But if you see that as the blessed life, do you realize what both the ancient and modern culture has in common? It's all about success. It's all about successism. It's all about winning, achievement, progress, 
posting things, showing it. And here's the problem if that's the blessed life for you. So much of that is based on your circumstances. So much of that is based on circumstantial situations. And circumstances, they are often out of your control. You might feel blessed in your 20s when you find an internship and you're killing it at work. But what happens in your 30s when you realize you don't want to do this stuff anymore? Like this job is just not fulfilling. Or you get fired. Like what do you do? The blessed life is gone. Or what if you get married and you, have, and you want to start a family, you're blessed, you're set up for blessing, but your marriage is just falling apart. It's not what you thought it'd be. Or you want to have kids, but can't have kids. It's just really hard getting pregnant. Or what happens when you buy that home and you have this sense of stability, now you made it in the OC, but all of a sudden your mom gets sick, or your dad gets sick, or you get sick. The home life doesn't really seem that great anymore. See, that's a blessed life, and yet that blessed life is so fragile. It's a very fragile blessed life. And when you kind of lose it, you don't hear about those people anymore. They just kind of disappear off of social media. You know what Jesus says? Jesus, he just challenges that. He just goes, hey, that's your, that's your guy. That's your girl, Sirach. Like, that's your person. Uh, let me tell you who I think is blessed. Jesus goes, you want to know what the good life is? You want to know what the blessed situation is? Look at verses 3 to 10. Blessed, 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 blessed. Jesus is ascribing situations that are blessed. Now, the problem when you go through verses 3 to 10, the Beatitudes, we are so familiar with it that our eyes glaze. And it doesn't hit us, again, the way it's supposed to hit us. I, I love this modernized version that's trying to stay true to the Beatitudes. Uh, and it just modernizes what Jesus is saying is this is the good life. So it's on the screen so you can follow along. But this is like a, a modern version of the Beatitudes, okay? This is what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the unemployed and the underemployed. Those of you without college degrees or without thriving careers. Those who have very little to offer to the world. They are in the kingdom of heaven. No college degree? Mmm. Went to JC, not even JC, you just even graduate high school. Mmm. That's blessed. What? He goes on. Blessed are the sad. Blessed are the depressed. Those grieving the death of a loved one, the failure of a marriage, another failed pregnancy, another miscarriage, those recovering from abuse, blessed are you. Because one day God's going to wipe away every tear from your eye. He goes on. Blessed are the quiet, blessed are the shy, the socially awkward, the uncool, the badly dressed, the people with six followers on Instagram, because one day they will be free from the tyranny of what others think of them and will take up their roles as king or queen over God's world. Blessed are the messed up, those who just can't get their lives together, the broken addict, the mentally unstable, the abused. For one day they will be so full of life. Blessed are those who get overlooked, who struggles finding a date, who gets passed over, who never gets noticed or recognized who get stepped on, but they don't fight and stomp others over their personal rights, one day they will receive mercy. Blessed are those who do the little things that nobody notices, who helps their neighbors without having to post it on social media, and they serve behind closed doors without any recognition, back in the AV room, back in the children's room, back in the setup, all those who no one says hello or thanks to you, one day you will be recognized. Blessed are those who get slighted by customer service reps, you get cut off by strangers on the freeway, 
You get ripped off by shady business owners. You get betrayed by friends. But you choose not to retaliate but suffer for the sake of peace. One day, everybody will recognize they are most like God. And blessed are those who try to live as Christians in this world. But you get mocked by coworkers and hometown friends. You get disinvited to the parties for not being down. You get looked down upon for your sexual integrity. They are rejected from the world. But they have a place in the kingdom of heaven. That's who Jesus says they're blessed. Do you see what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes? Do you see the types of people he's describing as they're blessed? He's not saying be humble starting tomorrow and you will be blessed after that. Jesus is saying, have you been humbled? Have you been humbled in life? You are so blessed and you don't even know it. He's not saying, hey, those of you, if you're sad tomorrow, when you get sad, just know it's a blessing to be sad tomorrow. So those sadness in the future, you're blessed. He's not saying that. He's saying, are you mourning? Have you lost people in your life? Is there like grief in your heart right now and your whole life? You're blessed. You are deeply blessed. Jesus is just reversing the types of circumstances we think we are in, saying, you don't see what I see. Everyone, including you, think that this situation is not good. But Jesus is saying there is a deep blessing that is there. And so before I move on, when you read, when you hear that, the modern beatitude, do any of those apply to you? Can you relate to any of those? If none of those apply and you're like, that's not me. Again, don't feel too bad. You're blessed in a different way. It's not like God hates you. No, no, there's a blessing to that. But also realize that you're probably living a life of privilege far more than you realize. I find, especially in the OC, a lot of people say Christianity, it's cool and all, but it's just really boring to me. Like the Jesus stuff and the Bible, it's just really boring. And whenever I hear people say that, I can't help but think like, oh, you must be really comfortable. Because you could not believe in this or you could deeply believe in it. But to disregard it as irrelevant shows that, oh, this is a very middle class problem. Because in real life, as I mentioned, this is like a theme of my sermons, life is hard. Brutally hard. It's brutally hard. And to say that this is completely irrelevant to me, oftentimes indicates that you haven't really mourned then. You haven't really grieved in a long time in your life. You haven't been humbled then. Because real life, when you experience that, this is either the stupidest news you ever heard and you reject it hardcore, or this is actually good news that you're really curious about. But to say that it's irrelevant, it just shows this is a very middle class OC problem that we have. But if you hear this going, that's me. In fact, three of those are me. In fact, a lot of those, that's me. Just know you live in a context where people, they look at you going, must be tough being single. Must be tough not having kids. And all you get is empathy, which is helpful, which is good, which is better than nothing. Again, Jesus looks at you going, you're blessed more than you realize. You are in a blessed situation and deep blessings are coming. And not because you're blessed because, oh, just think about this thing in life. No, no, that situation that you're in, that in itself was a blessing there. Why? How can, that be, how can there be a blessing being poor, being sad, going through crazy stuff? How is there a blessing? And that leads to the last point, understanding the blessed life. Why does Jesus look at our situations, our brokenness, and go, this is actually a blessed situation? 
Let me offer three last things and then we'll close. Number one is this. When you find yourself in a situation like that, you find yourself in a situation where the kingdom of heaven, it's meant for you. The kingdom of heaven is meant for you. I say this because notice the Beatitudes, notice how it's framed. When you look at verses 3 to 12, notice that the first Beatitude in verse 1, what is the blessing that's there? Poor in spirit, you get what? The kingdom of heaven. And then all of a sudden you get the last Beatitude, which is uh, those who are persecuted. And what's the blessing there? The kingdom of heaven. Oh, what's the same blessing? Everything else is a different blessing. These last two, they're the same. What's going on? It's a, they're, it's a framework. They call it in Greek, if you're a nerd, inclusio. They, it's meant to emphasize this theme of the kingdom of heaven. Yours is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is saying. Is Jesus saying if you're poor, that you're going to heaven no matter what? Is that what he's saying? I, I, don't, I don't think that's the right way to look at it. I think a better way to look at it is that the kingdom of heaven, again, it's meant for people like you. Let me elaborate on that. Years ago, a friend of mine, they told me, hey, Tom, I found a place that I think you would love to go with your family, to travel to. And I was like, you don't know me because I don't like traveling. He's like, no, 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 this place, it's local. And I was like, tell me more. What do you mean it's local? He's like, it's in Garden Grove. I was like, ooh, that's really close. What's it called? He's like, it's a place called Great Wolf Lodge. Now, if you hear me talk, I talk about this all the time. I'm like, Great Wolf Lodge, what is that? He's like, it's a, it's a place that's local and there's a water park for you and your kids. And I'm like, ugh, water park, that's so hot and sunny. They're like, no, 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 it's indoors. And I was like, no way. An indoor water park for me and the kids? Like, yeah, so no sun tan lotion, no sunblock lotion, no sun getting beat down on you. It's indoors. And in fact, attached to the water park, there's a hotel in the water park. And I was like, no way. So I don't have to like put the kids in the car that are wet and drive away. I just go straight to the elevator. He's like, mm-hmm, that's right. I'm like, what about food? Food's everywhere. Just go downstairs. You can leave the kids upstairs. It's all good. It's all safe. Just go downstairs. Food everywhere. It's open till midnight for all the adults. It's great. And I remember when I heard that, I was like, wow, whoever created Great Wolf Lodge probably thought of somebody like me. Somebody who enjoys comfort, who doesn't like the outdoors, who doesn't like, who likes to travel but not far. It's made for a person like me. And Jesus is saying, that's like the kingdom of heaven. There are people, when you are going through hard times, where you realize, you know, this world is not it. There's something broken in this world. I am not satisfied in this world because I see it for what it is. Jesus is saying, you're so blessed to realize that because you were actually made for a greater kingdom. The kingdom of heaven was made for you. And that's why when you are in a less fortunate circumstance, Jesus says, you're so blessed that you are not attached to this world like other people. The more successful you are, doesn't mean you can't make it to the kingdom or desire the kingdom, but you're so deeply rooted in the world, it's hard to get out of it. It's like that person who loved high school. They loved high school. All the prep rallies, the presidents, they just like high school spirit. And when they leave, a lot of them have a hard time not thinking about high school. Those are the glory years. And that's so sad. It's so sad when the glory years are just high school because that's only four years. Jesus is saying the same thing. When you know high school is not it, like life is just awaiting you, that's when the, the kingdom of heaven is meant for people like you. And those of us who have experienced brokenness, all the more ready you know that, hey, yeah, I'm not, made, I'm not made for this world. I'm not made for these circumstances that are jacking me. The kingdom of heaven is meant for you. That's the first blessing. Here's the second blessing when you're going through what Jesus is talking about. The kingdom of heaven is not only just meant for you, it's forming in you. It's forming in you. 
Do you notice that the first and last beatitude, uh, the, it, the kingdom of heaven is for you, uh, is at hand or it's for you, it's, uh, it's present tense. They're both present tenses. But all the beatitudes in between, it's all future tense. Huh. You, the more, those who are merciful will receive mercy. Interesting. Why is Jesus doing that? This is what theologians call the already but not yet, meaning something's happening now and it's going to reach its fulfillment at the end of time. There is some type of blessing that's happening right now. When you receive the kingdom, it's growing in you and it's going to be fulfilled over time. It won't, you won't ever reach the climax right now, but over time it will and it's beginning at this moment. Right now you're experiencing blessing in you as you are in your situation if you are faithful to the Lord and it's growing to make you more looking like a kingdom citizen. How can that, how can poverty grow you? How can mourning or suffering grow you? I like what, um, what I heard one author say where he was saying, you know the people who understand how that works, like how bad things really help you and shape you in a way that's beautiful? It's parents who are parents of children with uh, special needs. You ever meet a parent or a relative or somebody who has a special need sibling or a special need child? People who see a parent or family like that, they go, wow, that must be really hard. That must be really sad. I actually would never want that for my life. And that's why the number one aborted children are who? Babies with mental diseases. They don't, people don't want that life. What good could come from that? See, from the world's perspective, that's a horrible life. But have you ever met somebody who was a parent of somebody with a mental disease, somebody who was a parent of somebody who was disabled, who was a child, they are either the saddest person in the world, where they're just wrecked about life, or they are the most tender, soft-hearted, meaningful, thoughtful person you'll meet. Because they understand that even though they hate the mental illness their child goes through, there's nothing blessed about that illness. But in that context, in that situation of caring for somebody like that, they're discovering something beautiful. They understand human beings in a way that we just don't get. They understand pain in a way we don't get. They understand hope in a way we don't get. And that's why when you ever meet somebody like that, they are amazing people. And I think Jesus, he's saying something similar. The thing that you are going through, as sucky as it is objectively, the thing, through it, something deeply beautiful is happening in you that is kingdom-like. And that's why you are far more blessed than you actually realize. And those of us who have gone through hard times and made it out the other way, we know that, right? That was hard, and yet how deeply did that form us? But lastly, how are we blessed in the Beatitudes? Not just you're meant for the kingdom, the kingdom forming in you, but through this situation you're in, you're beginning to look a lot like the king. You're beginning to look a lot like the king. See, Jesus, he doesn't just teach us the Beatitudes saying, hey, if you do this, you're blessed. He actually embodies the Beatitudes. Jesus lived the Beatitudes. Jesus came into this world poor in spirit. He was poor. He had nothing to, nothing to give, no property, nowhere to lay his head. And yet he is given the kingdom. He is blessed with the kingdom. Jesus came into this world not happy, clappy, like, hey, let's think positive, guys. He mourned. Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem, weeping over Lazarus, weeping over sin. And yet the angels ministered to him. God sent the angels to comfort him. Jesus is someone described as meek. His yoke is not heavy. He is gentle and lowly. And yet God says to you will be given dominion and the kingdom. Jesus hungered and thirsts over righteousness. He fasted in the wilderness. He wanted what's right with God. And he experienced satisfaction. Jesus, he offers mercy. He constantly he healed people. He healed sinners. 
And he still offers that today. Jesus is the one who is pure of heart. He only wanted to do what was right in God's eyes. He didn't care what the Pharisees thought, what religious leaders thought. And now he sees God. Now Jesus is with God. Jesus is the ultimate peacekeeper. He brought peace with us and with God. And now Jesus is called the beloved son. He is the son of God. And lastly, Jesus, he is the persecuted one. He was persecuted on our behalf where he died on the cross for us. And now he offers the kingdom to all who would join him. If you ever need proof of like, huh, my situation that's not ideal, that's potentially blessed. What good could come from a less ideal situation? Jesus tells us, remember the Beatitudes and remember the one who lived the Beatitudes. And Jesus, remember, he is called the blessed one. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, at his baptism, it says, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is blessed. So when you look at the king, when you, look, when you begin to look like him, not only are you ready for the kingdom, but if you've just placed your trust in him, the kingdom is yours. The kingdom is yours. And so to close, let me ask, offer a challenge to both us individually, especially as you meet in your community groups this upcoming week. Uh, one question I'd hope that you guys could ask yourselves is this. What are the honest struggles that you feel like is preventing you from having the good life? We all have it. Like, what do you feel like is missing? They're like, hmm, if I just had that, or if this was gone from my life, I think I'd be blessed. Better job? A removal of a disease that you might be experiencing that nobody knows about? A better marriage? If that was there, would your life be blessed? Better children? A new home? For me, it's the home. Like, sometimes when it rains roof leaks and we have like a the thing that dries the carpet i'm like ah we just had a new home then i'd be blessed <laughs> that's just how i think and yet perhaps first of all is that really going to bring you blessing is that really the blessed life and perhaps maybe god in whatever situation you're in maybe there's a deeper blessing that he wants you to experience in the rubble in the struggle right now because as we learn the Beatitudes, Jesus is reversing the way we view life. The kingdom in the situation like that, it's made for you. It's deforming in you. And you're beginning to look a lot like the king. And so let me uh, close us in prayer before we take the Lord's Supper. And we'll have a moment to actually reflect together on what we just heard. So let me pray for us in light of this. And then I invite the praise team up. Uh, we'll take the Lord's Supper. So let's pray.